Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 107, Why Male Friendships Are Challenging. Hey, yes, welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am alongside licensed therapist and still that Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And of course, we have our producer who is still the reigning most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hello. Hey, Steve. Today, we are going to talk about male friendships. Here's why. I'm married to a dude. The <laughs> end. That's the reason. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I have a decent amount of male friends and female friends who are married to guys. And for the last several months, I keep hearing this common theme that guys seem to struggle with friendships or wives are like praying for their husbands and friendships, which is great. It's great prayer. Um, but I notice like they're just not pursuing one another's hearts specifically in this friendship brothership. That's not a word, but we're going to go with it. But even if they seem like they need it, and I just kept asking myself why. And so I prayed and I reached out to some of y'all on the social medias and you gave us some names and um, just the, the Eldridge's came to mind. Uh, I've been listening to their podcast lately and good grief. These guys are really woke to heart stuff and they seem to like understand deep male friendship. So I asked if they'd be on it and they agreed. So without further ado, here are Sam and Blaine Eldridge. Welcome guys. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for thinking of us. We're excited to be here today. Never been described as woke to the heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that <laughs> one. I'm stealing that phrase Thank forever you. now. <laughs> Uh, just so we can differentiate between your voices, which of you is Sam and which is Blaine? Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And that's actually not even easy for people who work here with us at Ransom Tart. So, so good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wait, which one's older? Do you need to like fight over that for a little bit? or? Well, I'm, I'm older. Sam is older. Um, that's okay. weird to talk about myself in the third person, but there you have it. <laughs> Hello, I, Blaine, like to yeah. think of myself as taller, though. I knew you were going to say that. He's been <laughs> chomping at my heels ever since he could. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. We're going, we're going to be good. Okay. But for those of you who don't know them beyond just this little back and forth we've had, and if their last name Eldridge sounds familiar, it's because yes, they are the sons of John and Stacy Eldridge of Ransomed Heart Ministries. But you guys, as a daughter of a father who did a lot of speaking and writing, we are more than our parents. And so I see you guys. <laughs> um, but Sam mm -hmm. and Blaine Eldridge are brothers based in Colorado, and they are the writer, producer, director team that runs And Sons, a platform for guys in their 20s who want to understand their moment and invest in their own soul. And when they're not in the office or with their families, they're outside hunting, biking, or riding motorcycles in the Colorado backcountry. It's, uh, Matt, wait, stay, stay in the studio recording. You, you can't go and join them right now. You, you need to wait. <laughs> uh, but that like all those Fine. things sound like what you're all about, Matt. Okay, but he's staying and we're going to go ahead and go with the question of the week from last week, which really was from a couple weeks ago, uh, which technically was actually from last year. So whatever, we're digging <laughs> deep. But the question of the week is, what are you nerdy about? So Sam and Blaine, you just alluded to some things as, you know, outside hunting, biking, riding. Is it any of those? What do you guys nerd about? Or Star Wars? You'll be among friends here if that is the answer. Oh, yes. So many things. Blaine, go first. Wow. I was going to, I feel like you took, took Star Wars right out of the air there. That's an easy <laughs> one. You know, they show the 
Mandalorian is streaming. And because we have a few brothers <laughs> in town, we're kind of able to stitch together one week trials to stay with that show. But it is a nerd nice. fest is that is playing where there's some flashback of the main character and we're watching going, that doesn't look like the planet Mandalore, but it doesn't look like Dathomir either. <laughs> Oh, and oh my word! Yes. It's kind of interesting that the separatist battle droid is there. Why would that? So there's a there's a deep, nerdy passion for Star Wars in the Eldridge household, stretching back mm-hmm. forever. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm yeah. happy to report it's alive and well. Very good. I'm I'm just gonna let you know. I'm gonna jump out here. I'm gonna hop on a plane to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'll be seeing well, you guys later tonight. So you know, people sound much cooler when there's only two sentences to describe their lives and their hobbies. Yeah, uh, I assure you, the day to day is a lot more boring. But yeah, come on in. You're very welcome. <laughs> oh man, what else you guys got? Um, we tend to geek out about like the things that we're passionate about. So we just got back from hunting and our wives were sort of startled to discover that we don't talk a lot about other things than strategy and wind direction and soul lunar cycles. You just, as we get ourselves into the worlds we love, there's a distinct joy of nerding out about it. And so I think (laughs) maybe it's our personality in general, but whether it's Star Wars or hunting or the triathlons we love to do, we tend to kind of geek out about a lot of things in those categories. Yeah, I'm just going to hit you with a a fact to back that up. So it was this fall, it was hunting season, and my wife was asking why I wasn't going to go out around what should have been sort of the peak of the elk mating season. And I went, well, babe, you know, the cow elk go into estrus. Uh, They ovulate around the time of the autumn equinox because it's triggered by the amount of light entering a cow elk's eye. But when you have a full moon around the equinox, that can actually push it back because you actually disturb, you know, the amount of light, the amount of ambient light the elk are exposed to. So this year, it's going to be better to go out later and try to catch (laughs) the peak of elk activity sort of at the end of September. But yeah, that should give you a pretty good flavor. That's awesome. I can't tell you how many times we've had that same conversation. (laughs) Every morning at breakfast, right? (laughs) Yep. Uh, All of two listeners like, yes, like standing up in their seat, like just just cheering. Thank you. Two is probably generous. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. it, Matt, you've said that that's like one of your love languages is when people just nerd out hard about whatever they're excited about. Yeah, I feel like it's a it's a prerequisite to be my friend is to be nerdy about something and unashamedly so just mm. because there's so many things that I am also nerdy about. Way to be on theme, Matt. Friendship prerequisite. I see see something uh, coming. Yeah. Matt, what listener stood out to you in their nerddom? Yeah, on Facebook, uh, Joy. Um, she had just said, "I am the problem is I'm nerdy about most things I like, but I have." A few favorites like foster care, adoption, campers, Harry Potter, Enneagram, inclusion, not being in debt, and so much more. And so it's just not the fact that, that there are so many things that, that she nerds out about. And I'm like, that's, that's me. If it's having jokes with myself and making fun puns in my own head that no one else will ever hear, you know, Star Wars, sports, outdoor activities, woodworking, all sorts of stuff. It's just, it, it just, at some point, my brain is going to latch onto something, and I'm going to go probably a little too deep into it. He'll get his woodworking magazine in the mail, and I'm like, well, see you tomorrow. <laughs> There's the rest of my day, guys. <laughs> yeah, not really. We got three little kids, but in his dreams, he's doing that. Oh, I love that. Way to Steve, go. Steve, what listener? 
Uh, yeah, I liked this one. Hi, my name is Amelia, and I'm from Iowa. I'm definitely nerdy about Star Wars. Growing up, my sister and I and our friends were all pretty obsessed, and so we ended up watching all the movies and would have different movie marathons with those. We collected different toys and trading cards and postcards and pretty much anything you could buy, um, which was pretty easy when the early trilogy was coming out in the 2000s. And we would also read all of the different books um, with trivia and behind the scenes, um, all the different vehicle carriers and different stuff like that. Um, and just over Thanksgiving break, uh, my sister and I actually played her Star Wars trivia game, um, which is a little bit more difficult than you would actually think. Um, so that was a fun test of our knowledge. Uh, we also were kind of nerdy about Spy Kids as well, and I could pretty much tell you anything you wanted to know about any three of the Spy Kids films wow. still. And I also met Daryl Sabera, who played Junie. I won a trip through Focus on the Family to meet him for my 13th birthday, so that was definitely the epitome of my nerddom. <laughs> yeah. Spy Kids, that's a throwback. I got to dig deep in the recess oh, man. the old mind file for that one. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I mean, Star Wars has been taken, but... Yeah. That was kind of my introduction to like the hero's journey and, you know, now I see it everywhere. But when I, so I'll talk about this instead. When I was a kid, I discovered this radio drama put out by the BBC called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Not down Gilead Lane? Um, that came later. That okay. came, those came later. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was like this whole universe and the guy then wrote books. He wrote a trilogy, which ended up being five books and it was the five book trilogy. And so it's weird, quirky British sense of humor plus sci-fi. And it's gone on to be, you know, like movies and all that too. But, uh, yeah, I still like really, really nerd out about the details of it because when I was a kid, because I learned it when I was a kid, I can't remember details of movies now that I see but when I was a kid, I, all that stuff comes back to me because it just my brain was soaking it up. We didn't mm -hmm. have phones yet. Yeah. It would no. be easy That's to so overlook great. the fact you just said you followed BBC radio drama as a kid. I just kind of want to <laughs> yeah. call some attention to you. Thank yeah. you. What the heck? Yeah, That's thank amazing. You, I, you I are know. the only person I know. I know. That's true. And in fact, in fact, the broader geek out is radio drama. Yeah, That's true. And God was preparing me for what I would do later in life. So there you go me as the talent you that's, could mold that's in right. down Gilead Lane, which <laughs> listen to past episodes. We refer to that every once in a oh, while. Man. Steve and I work together. Yep. I liked this. Hey guys, the thing I'm super nerdy about is Google. I have a Google phone, a Google phone plan, Google home. I use Google apps for everything and I'm a Google Maps local guide. I even have my very own pair of Google local guide socks. And of course, since I'm a total information junkie, I waste all of my time Googling useless things. Yeah. So honestly, I can't really relate to all the Googleness <laughs> of life, but it was just such an awesome answer. I had to share it. Uh, but I, I nerd out about like the conversations of the soul. I, I mean, this podcast is basically I get to nerd out all the time about, you know, what do you think? And let's dive into your story and unpack these things. And as Matt has joked many a time in our marriage, I walk around in a scuba suit while many people have <laughs> snorkels. And he has to remind me that not everyone wants to go to the depths with my scuba suit, but I get to in this podcast. So 
Thanks for scuba suiting with us today. <laughs> and I'm excited to dive more into the gospel into this and into this male friendship conversation with you, Sam and Blaine. But for those of you who are new listeners, welcome. We're so excited that you're here. And if you are new, you don't know that we ask every guest for the last hundred odd episodes this same set of questions. So we're going to ask you, Sam and Blaine, if the gospel is I'm more loved than I can imagine and yet still more sinful than I believe... When was the gospel first good news for you, and how is it still? Yeah, it would take the rest of the episode for me to answer the first part of that question. Yeah. So for sake of covering at least one other question in our time together, I will <laughs> say that the most recent time that uh, the gospel, the power of God for salvation, was, has been good news was uh, last night. My... You guys mentioned you have kids and young kids, and I'm very much in that world right now. And yep. it was just one of those, she, my daughter is sick, and she won't fall asleep. And it is the, you know, it's now late, and I'm deeply frustrated and kind of in that cycle of, you know, realizing how debased I can become in my humanity just by being exposed to a three-year-old crying for a couple hours mm. and going, yeah, man, I just, I just cannot... Uh, do this. And it would be tempting in this case to sort of rally around, wait, yes, I can. I am the man for this job. Uh, but actually, relief last night went, actually, that is true. I am not uh, sufficient to the task of raising this girl. Hmm. And yet, the relief is that I can go, yep, um, not enough. Need actually God to enter in. And provide what is lacking in me and then, like, love this girl through me. And so rather than shift into hardcore strive, do better mode, it was this, oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be awesome if I was, like, one of those TV pro dads. Not that. <laughs> Going to go, Jesus, I need you. I'm not sufficient to this on my, on my own. Come into this. And like, it sounds almost... Too easy, like that would not work. But I've experienced over time just the actual relief that comes out of mm. and then the power that comes out of going, God, you have to fill this. Rescue me out of my inability to parent this girl right now and give us a way forward. Don't let my inability to love my daughter prevent her being loved right now. You come do it yourself. Mm. And it's That's effective. That's so awesome. Mm. So can you do a 30-second version of when you came to Christ? Oh, a 30-second version. Okay. Can you? You know, there's a wonderful saying that is the man with an experience has nothing to fear from a man with an argument. And I would say that growing up in a house where I saw people transformed by Jesus was uh, fundamentally persuasive to me. It was clear that God was real. Jesus could save you. And I think that uh, if I were to point to a key moment of when the relationship began between me and uh, God, I'm 13 years old, I'm in the woods trying to spend some time hearing God praying, I'm afraid I'm going to be eaten by a mountain lion, so I climbed a tree, <laughs> uh, and I was sitting up in this pinion pine tree, and uh, didn't actually <laughs> hear the voice of God that much in the three hours I was sitting in this tree, but actually came away with a sense of being known and connected that became something mm -hmm. that fueled the drive forward. 
That's awesome. And gives me a little hope as two parents who are, where we're both very involved in ministry work and we look at our kids and I don't know, the statistics just seem like garbage, like ministry parents equal crazy children. Uh, we just pray and surrender our kids every day, but it's encouraging to see it doesn't have, that doesn't have to be your story. And I'm just reject that in Jesus name. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. Yeah. How about for you? And sorry, it's Sam, right? That's who I'm talking to right now. You're Next talking, person. You're talking with Blaine. <laughs> Blaine, that's Blaine that was, was Blaine. but now I, yes, I knew that was Blaine. Now I'm shifting to Sam. So yeah, that's Blaine's answer. What about you, Sam? <laughs> okay. It's, it's, oh, a good question and specifically in the lens of the first time I, I growing up in that home that we did we had a front row seat to our mom and dad going to be consistent mm. with who they are on stage and who they are at home and is there something of their life that is alluring something that we want something that feels like it has life as well and I would say that they they did they put they passed those tests that a eight-year-old and a 13-year-old is constantly giving them. Mm. But for me, actually, there was like another call to reassess all of that in college. I went to a Christian college for my undergrad, and it was pretty disruptive. felt like a lot of people use the same words and mean very different things when it comes to God and faith and saved and sinner and all of that. And I, for me, it was actually experiencing a lot of pain and the hope that Jesus and the hope that his death and the coming kingdom hold out there for me. I I don't understand how anybody without that is able to function. Hmm. I think there's just, there's too much, there's too much pain in the normal person's life, let alone the extremely broken life to try to just muster through it and hope that you're the strongest thing in the world or hope that you'll find a little bit of medication on the side. And so for me, it was through the the crucible of pain and having experienced genuine life in Jesus that pulled me back to him. So good. And do you still need Jesus, Sam? Yes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did Jesus not come come through on that? No, he did. I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm just saying, do you need him? How do you need him today? Um, how do I need him today? My goodness. Um, yeah, the parenting thing comes to mind that you mentioned, Blaine. The, the hope thing for me is huge. Mm. How do I need him today? I think there's, a, there's actually a booby trap for young men these days that it's hard to find, but it's this uh, trying to be a really good man Mm. all on your own. And so it's this, like I'm doing the right things. I'm loving the right way. And I'm, I'm just trying to go and charge after it, but actually there's no Jesus involved and it's very isolated and it's very draining. And I have been guilty of that many times myself. And I've just become more and more aware that if it's up to me, it's not possible. And Mm -hmm. that applies to me being patient enough or me being, kind enough for me having everything that being a parent demands. And so that's, that's how I need Jesus today. So good. 
Yeah. And thank you for rolling with my sarcasm. I so heard Jesus. And I, I just love hearing both. This is when I just surrendered, I guess, officially, or just like made that decision. And I, it's an ongoing decision, but then too, then how do we still need him? So thank you guys. I already feel half eviscerated on this end with just like the depth of which you're speaking from a soul that gets Jesus. Uh, so I'm going to try and pull it together and we're going to move on. Mm. Um, but male friendships, it's hard for us women. Again, it's, friendships are hard, especially in such an isolated age. And we could point to a thousand things, but I would like to just hone in specifically on male friendships. Cause I think we women maybe seem to be, and I'm stereotyping. We seem to be a little bit more like feel it when we aren't relationally connected just for however God has wired us. And then we tend to move toward it, but guys don't seem to again, generalizing. So bear with me. Can you help me? Can you help us understand why do you think that is? I mean, you're right in that it goes in a thousand different directions, Lori. Like it just, it is uh, complex. And I think we do want to flesh some of that out because it's a question that all of our young male listeners are wrestling with as well. Both like, I feel so isolated and how do I not become isolated in my old age? Mm-hmm. What are, what's the what's the path towards long-lasting friendship? I think one of the first categories we start with is that men and young men to old men need a sense of competency, need a sense of mastery, need a sense of feeling like they have something to offer. Mm-hmm. And every single one of us is broken and wounded in that place. And so it actually feels a lot safer for men to go to places where we do feel strong. And that's typically work or our hobby. And that's Mm. also a very isolated place because it's a place where we on our own discovered that we had something strong to offer there rather than a place of community being invited into something for the most part, generalizing here. But that's, that's really one of the first things that I watch for in my own life and others' lives is where are the choices you're making based out of fear and competency and pain and therefore risking with another man who feels many of those same things. So you get a couple of guys who are totally afraid of seeming like they don't have it all together, despite the fact that none of us do. That's a really hard space, particularly as a man to try and start from scratch. Hmm. What would you add to that, Blaine? Yeah, it's a good answer. I would zoom out and go, friendship is a characteristic activity of a whole heart. Mm-hmm. And point to, you know, in, in our worldview, it's sort of key to position the heart the way the Bible does, where it goes, oh, what is the epicenter of human existence? Heart, uh, lev is the word in Hebrew. And you can sort of trace the story all the way through of, can anything be done to restore the human heart? This is the dialogue in Jeremiah of the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can even understand it? All the way into the culmination of that book that goes, I will write my law on your heart. David asks, create in me a clean heart, O God. Jesus refers to those who receive the gospel as those with a noble and good heart. And so you kind of go, all right, so the heart, the heart, the center of your being is the center of the action and what Jesus is working to restore. And then go relating with friends, seeking out relationship, 
hanging in there is something that an increasingly wholehearted person does. Mm -hmm. And so I would begin with, oh, man, yeah. Why do men not move into relationship? I would say that the hearts of the men around you have been assaulted from the day they were born. Uh, and then it dovetails in with our own sin. And you actually end up with a person whose heart uh, is, is not actually reaching out in relationship. And therefore, mm -hmm. we instead go into, okay, well, uh, where do we go when we're afraid? We go to where we won't be challenged, uh, to where we won't be seen. And for a lot, and you know, pick your area per guy. But to actually begin to restore that, you have to go, how do you address the heart of a man such that he becomes the kind of person who wants to relate with other men? Hmm. Okay. So I'm kind of obsessed, so talking about nerding out, of looking into not only deconstructing gender, which is kind of what's happening. I see this happening. Okay, this is not, that's toxic masculinity. That's not what it means to be a man. That's toxic. Well, you don't really hear toxic femininity yet. Maybe we will. But like, that's not what it means to be a woman. Girls can do this. Guys can do this. And I was listening to um, a sermon by Keller, Tim Keller, from 1991. And it's, pretty interesting because he talks about what it not just deconstructing gender but like okay what does it mean to be a man and he says this he says men see themselves maturing as they separate they want independence and they want impact and then he says women have the gift of interdependence they see themselves maturing as they attach and are interdependent so men mature as they separate and make impact okay so we have simultaneous, if, if that's true, and he builds his arguments in this uh, in this episode, so I can post that, the sermon that he gives, if you guys want to listen to it. But I am just curious, because if you hear that at its raw, you know, men want impact and independence, take that to any extreme of a, I guess, not wholehearted man, and they're going to you know, make stamp, stamp on people, stomp on people, you know, they'll make too much impact and be too loud, which really is fruit of an insecure heart. And so I think I'm noticing, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm talking to all dudes here, but men are, because they don't want to be that, they don't want to be toxic. And yet perhaps they still feel this desire to be independent and make impact. Where, where, how can they move into that calling of who God has called them to be, this wholehearted living, um, and neither detach and go to video games or go, I don't know, to whatever coping mechanisms we want, nor go to stomping on people? How, how do we do that in 2020? Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's a great observation by Tim Keller. Some of the things that come to mind are what is forming a man's picture of masculinity uh, of or or what are we aspiring to and mm -hmm. it is we want to be people who use power well who actually contribute something meaningful to the world i think that's a wonderful desire i think it gets uh distorted because it yeah. rewards already knowing how to do things and mm. puts us in a situation where we're never okay unless we are contributing, unless we are the man in the chair. I think that 
having a picture of manhood that is centered in Jesus is key of, okay, who is the most passionate, kind, funny, powerful person who has ever lived? Jesus. Uh, what was like, what was the pattern of his life? Incredible interdependence or just straight up actually dependence on, but I mean interwovenness with his father. He lived a life that was like completely resourced in the transmission of masculinity from father to son. And so first I would go to that picture of what is it that you want to be and who is it that embodies that for you? Because that kind of gives you something to move towards. Mm. Kicking you, Sam. Yeah, I just, I come back to that when you interact with a man, whether they seem timid or brash, whether they seem like they're going to stomp on you and they want to carve their name in marble and build a mausoleum, or if they just want to hide and be alone in the garage with their hobby, like you're meeting different forms of brokenness and different forms of posing is the word that we use around here of... That's the the survival mechanism you've learned that works. And yep. so there's a piece of masculinity, what it's intended to be, is very nuanced, is, is able to have that go forth and like and work and build things. And like that, I remember feeling that so strongly when I was entering my twenties. I just felt like I had to literally build something. I just mm-hmm. that that need came out of left field for me because I wasn't necessarily a handyman and it's also masculinity is very tender and able to intervene on other people's behalf and so you get like any one of those pieces isolated to me it just it smacks of brokenness and it's like okay i am i am as curious of the guy who seems like a a macho man as i am of the guy who feels like he has to kind of be passive and be a peacemaker because everybody's revealing something of god and there's a reason that the guy is interacting like that because he's learned that that's what works. And there's probably much more to him. But if you aren't aware of your own heart and your own story, it's just going to be broken people bumping into broken people. And you're like, why isn't this working? And to mm. me, that feels very obvious. Mm. Yeah. I mean, to, to kind of jump in on that, like you, you talk about passivity. And, and I think that oftentimes in, in our culture, we do, especially in the church, breed kind of passivity and men, you know, phrases like, hey, turn the other cheek, while theologically accurate and it is something we're supposed to do, can also become something that's just like ingrained in us as men to to not show feeling, to, mm. to not actually, to kind of dismiss anything that might be happening internally to us in order to just not rock the boat. And, and that passivity, you know, is something that as a counselor, I see that people use as a self-protective means. And it's something that because they're never seen, because they're never known, they're never vulnerable. And on the flip side of that, you talk about the the guy who's more demonstrative, who's more, you know, the one who's carving his name in marble and building this mausoleum can, can become more aggressive. And it's like using control as opposed to retreat to, to not be vulnerable and so I, I feel like at the heart of that, there, there is a fear of, of men being vulnerable and being actually kind of this assertive stance where it's like, I'm going to reveal what's going on inside me, but I'm not going to control the situation to the point where I will not possibly be hurt. Ooh. 
Yeah, it's such a that's such a good observation. I think one of the most insightful stories about men or one of the best insights to men is in the fall and simply look at Adam's I was afraid because I was naked so I hid and you can actually mm-hmm. hold that sentence up to most of the men that you know wherever they're hiding in the way you said whether passivity or assertion and go uh, you're afraid uh, because you feel uncovered and unsafe and so you are hiding and your hiding might look like withdraw or it might look like aggressively asserting yourself. But if it's not actually holding your heart out there, bringing yourself in a way that makes things better, you know, you should, shall know them by their fruit. If the fruit of a man being in an environment is not, that environment improves, starts to feel safe, good, playful. You just know that a man is hiding. Oh, okay. Okay. This is good. I'm jumping in here because then <laughs> let's throw on a layer of culture. I would say culturally, we're very in with things like being authentic and mm-hmm. social media is this highlight reel of other people's lives and other people's friendships. And so if you throw that layer on, on top of the, I'm afraid because I'm naked and so I'm hiding in whatever way that might be. And then the culture says, well, What's real is being authentic with your friends on the beach and the sun setting and everything's great. Then there's this additional layer of false comparison where you just feel all the more isolated as that man who looks around and says, where are my close friends? Why do I feel so vulnerable here? And why is the charge to be authentic when that feels like the last thing I can do? Why does it feel like everybody else has this? And therefore, there's something wrong with me. So I'm just going to continue. I'm going to put my head down and just stay with what works. Okay, help me, though, because this is exactly the crux where I, as a woman, and maybe maybe alpha female, I don't know, type A, who knows? Uh, yes. Okay, but I look into that and I see a dude maybe looking literally over, not just on Instagram, but looking over and seeing a group of friends talking and probably imagines they're having great old fun and he's all alone and feeling like a jerk and lonely. Why doesn't he get up and go talk to him? <laughs> like, or why, like, and I'm an introvert also. So, you know, we can play that into there, but like, how do we cultivate guys who, and why, I guess, no, just let's stick with that one. Why don't they get up and go do something about it? Yeah, that's super good. Matt, you're the therapist. Yeah, go Matt. Husband, <laughs> well, Steve's audio engineer. Yeah, like, give us a minute. Yeah, Matt's the husband, yes. Steve's the producer. Yeah, yeah I, I and I can really only speak to myself, but I, I guess a, a thing that, that we did, so me and Lori are in a small group. We have a, a good group of, of friends that we, um, interact with on a, on a consistent basis. And we go deep in the small group. And one of the things that we did a few goodness, probably months ago was, was we had this kind of comparison of, um, how are you doing in your relationship with your spouse? Like emotionally, you know, physically, spiritually friendship wise. And, and then how does that compare to, to how are you doing in your relationship with God? And we and, put like a number to yeah, it. And we, we kind of we quite tried to quantify it a little bit. And, and after doing that, I, I actually started thinking about my own life and relationships with, with friends. So comparing this comparison, you know, from, from spouse to God, to friends. And for me, it was a marked difference. My, my relationship with Lori had pretty high scores. My relationship with God was right there as well. But my relationship with friends, I mean, it dropped like 
20 points or something on this, on this score, like grand total of 50. And, you know, so it, it was something that I, I looked at myself and I'm like, man, I am, I am not naturally a, a good friend. And I, I, I know that I look at myself and I see that person retreating into the garage. It would be much easier as an introvert for me to, to take a step toward, toward a hobby that I enjoy, toward something where it's just like, I got three kids, I need some peace and quiet, you know, and, and to, to just retreat into the garage. And, and that's easy for me. But it's, it's not what's best for me. And, and I know every time, even if it's just texting a friend, like saying, hey, how are you doing today? I've been thinking about you. There's always this sense of fear, this sense of just awkwardness that even though I know these guys and I know them well, and every time I've done it, they've actually responded very well. And it's actually opened up in, in the relationship. Like there's always this fear to overcome. And I think part of that is because growing up, I was always kind of this, the, the culture was kind of this John Wayne mentality of pull yourself up buy the bootstraps and get the job done. It wasn't care for your friends mentality. So there was this sense of, I guess, gender stereotype that I was, that I was dealing with and plus my own wounding as, you know, growing up as a child, you know, but that led me to passivity. I, I don't, I can't speak for all men, but I know that for me, the, the thing that needs to be confronted is my own fear that I am mm -hmm. incapable in this kind of emotional arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good, Matt. And, and that's that's part of like the problem for your question, Lori, is that I go to, it's nuanced. Uh, culturally, we say that that's like a problem. I think that you look at men and go, hey, what's the deal? You have this longing, go, go do it. And there isn't, in my opinion, a one size fits all like, oh, you just are behaving like X because you're a man, therefore go do Y. It's no, what's the what's the particularities of your story that are making that difficult? Here in our world, we believe that men and lasting male friendships need a couple of things together for it to feel like it has life and to feel like it can thrive. And one of those key aspects is something to do together, some shared adventure, some shared thing. And that's why it gets boiled down to guys watching the game yeah. or having each other over for a cigar or a, a night in the garage because we just we need a, we need a thing and it gets boiled down all the way to that and that doesn't quite seem to do it but the the adventure the the canoe trip the 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 ski trip that feels almost impossible and so there's this like realm of the scale where how do you how do you find things that you can do together because you actually need that that's what's going to be building male friendship the mm -hmm. other piece for us is this phrase of find a few other men that you really do want lasting friendship with and make their battles your battles mm. truly take on that posture of when you go to war I'm going to war as well, whether that's for your kids, for your marriage, for your job, even for your heart. Like I, I'm going to be throwing my sword in with you. And that that feels really scary and vulnerable. But when that is reciprocated, oh my gosh, like there's this gasp of fresh air in the heart that goes, you too, now I can walk side by side with you as we go into the frontier. And they're like, those two things, small talk's not going to do it. Pressure's not going to do it. Uh, shouldas isn't going to do it. 
you need things and you need this shared mission and shared commitment that is pretty rare these days. Hmm. I'm going to keep riffing on this because you guys really have me thinking. A couple of things stand out that feel important to add. Uh, and they are friendship is difficult. And so there is the question of why is it worth it? And I love what you're saying, Matt, about retreating because my impulse would usually be the opposite of just go get around people. But it's actually no more to conducive. Uh, it's no more conducive to relationship than you going into the garage and just go, my defaults are insufficient. It's not enough to like be someone who just be a guy who just likes to be around people. I would say relating is difficult. People are uh, in process. And so the thing that is key is what is your story? A couple things in relationship are one, you will, we will never live beyond our identity. And then kind of two, if a thing is hard, there has to be a story to um, get you through. Sam will mention often on our podcast, the book, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, and to go, when something is difficult, if you can position it inside a larger context, you can do it and go, for me, uh, friendships as an end in themselves have actually never been sufficient. And maybe there is a guy who's uh, geared differently. And for him, a friendship is an end in and of itself. But actually, the only way that it works for me is I have to understand that reality looks a lot more like the Lord of the Rings than it does an episode of Scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> and just to go, if reality is epic, if, as Dostoevsky says, beauty is mysterious as well as terrible, God and the devil are fighting there, and the battlefield is the heart of man, and go, there's this epic contest for creation, the human soul. We're rescued by Jesus and then given a role. Uh, we are his sons, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something, and I see myself living in this story it gets me out of, I was just sharing with Sam recently, earlier in this week, it was one of those relational things where a relationship, one of my key friendships, is hard right now. And it feels like we're kind of getting on each other's nerves and the ways that we're different are really clashing. And it's tempting for me just to go, okay, well, this is about me figuring out how to relate better. And I went, well, actually, what if I thought that there was more at stake and if, if the life of our hearts was at stake, then our families would also be at stake. And mm. then, you know, telling our neighbors about Jesus would also be at stake. And there is a reason to gear up and push in when we understand that the story is not just men be friends. The story is the restoration of all things is underway. You have a role to play. You will need people around you if you are going to walk out your role. Hmm. That's gigantic. And I just keep thinking like on this podcast, uh, we've talked often just about the familial nature of what God's designed, how we are the body of the Christ, uh, body of Christ, and we're the family of Christ. And so to see each other as siblings and fellow soldiers and 
that that this, this is more, there's more to this life than this life. So I love what you're saying. I love that you guys are pursuing heart wholeness, soul wholeness, looking into, okay, what is your story? What's the, the trajectory? I'm going to call out an elephant in the room is, okay, when guys start to pursue one another's hearts, even, you know, with an eye on the ad, an adventure, like, there's, there's this, the gay word can come out, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, but like where for some reason being emotionally vulnerable and side by side, guys start to feel like, oh no, this is like for some, that's like attached to romance, like emotions and emotional vulnerability equals romance. How do you guys navigate that as emotionally in tune dudes? That's good. It's a good question. Man, I just want to hear Matt talk more. Maybe I need to listen to your podcast, but can I keep that question to Matt first again? Yeah, yeah start actually, it, Matt. you can, because this this is actually a conversation. As I've counseled, especially men in the LGBT community, that that is one thing that I've called out to them as a relational strength that they have that the church absolutely needs. Is, and can you is, explain a little bit about your counseling for new listeners when you say you counsel LGBT people? Yeah. So I just have to, I guess, put the caveat out there. This is not conversion therapy or reparative therapy in any way. It's really how do we as created people of God live out our life submitted to him? No matter our version no matter our of broken sexuality. No matter our issues, no matter our struggles whatsoever. And so um, but yeah, like there, there have been times when, when I've got, especially yes, single gay men. So people who, who are attracted to the same sex, they identify as gay or as same sex yeah. attracted, but they're surrendered, surrendering their sexuality to Christ. Yeah. They're, they're, okay. they're trying to, they're, they're asking the question, okay, how do I, how do I do this Christian life Yeah. in, in the midst of, of these attractions toward, toward other men? And especially as maybe some of their friends are, are getting married and there's this, this they're straight distance. friends. There, yeah. You know, there's this distance that's can be created in this loneliness. And there's, there's often this sense of just deep desire for, for them to, to be in relationship with other men. And they feel like a lot of their straight friends are not giving kind of that same effort toward the friendship, mm -hmm. even if there's nothing remotely sexual about it whatsoever. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've, I've had to say is, okay, that is a strength. That is a place where we as Western men are, are incredibly weak mm -hmm. relationally. Um, we feel power, we feel um, competence in, in maybe our physical selves. But, but oftentimes in that emotional space is where we feel our vulnerability. And that's something that we tend to avoid or tend to try and control. Um, you know, and, and so to go back to your question, okay, why is it that if, if there is this sense of like, okay, I, I don't want to come off as, as gay, yeah. you know, this, this kind of avoidance of that, I, I would have to just say it's based on a very inaccurate, very unbiblical stereotype of what masculinity is supposed to be. Ooh, snaps. And and I remember like, okay, so we, we were watching way back a few months ago, the first season of Jack Ryan on Amazon, which we mm -hmm. had to stop watching because of some stuff that went on in there. But in one of the episodes, there's these two brothers, these Middle Eastern guys, and they're just sitting in the back of the truck after like breaking one of the brothers out of this prison and they've just got their foreheads like against mm. one another as brothers. And I remember watching that. I'm like, 
longing for that. It made mm. me resonate with, with these characters who are actually the villains of the story, but it made me resonate so much with that because I'm like, I wish that I had that. Mm. I wish that I had that in, in relationship to other men. Yet what do I do? I, I would tend to long for that, but then just squelch it and then go and build something in the garage mm. as opposed to, to reaching out and cultivating it. And, and so what I would need to, to kind of lean in more to that isn't so much saying, you know, you should do this, that the should have don't work, but, but this kind of this calling out of, you can have that, mm. like that can be real, but it does take work mm-hmm. and, but it is worth it. Not just because then you have a best friend, but no, because of what you guys are saying that, that there is this, like, there is this war that we are in the midst of that we don't pay attention to. So oftentimes. to have that forehead to forehead bro that and, and soul to soul that you, like even like the show that we were watching like in this battle that's yeah. something you long for and Matt doesn't have a gay bone in his body. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I'm just saying like we have I feel like so what some of what you're saying is shred the stereotypes like that's just garbage and to really lean into the gift of vulnerability even though it's awkward and to stop saying throwing like the gay word on it just because it's vulnerable but it's it's battle it's heart it's yeah. brotherhood Sam and Blaine we just said a lot of things what are you thinking yeah I love the categories that you're throwing out there we can't separate ourselves from our own culture unfortunately but we can get better eyes to see it the other cultures eyes is so helpful i had a friend in college who was a missionary kid from tanzania and there if you are speaking to someone you're holding your their hand the right. whole time that you guys are having a conversation and so he was used to grown men having a conversation walking down the street holding hands because that's how you let the other person know that they have your attention and he like tried doing it with a few of us in this Western world. And it was so awkward and disruptive. It was like, I, I can talk to you without holding your hand, but also very aware of the, be aware, like the cultural lens is affecting and is contributing in some pretty negative ways to that piece of the longing. Like, yes, the, the battle aspect. Why, why does it seem so difficult? Why are there so many different voices of accusation coming on to be the next reason why you shouldn't have a close friend or even call your close friend a brother. Call them family. Feel that deep connection. Like, yes, it is opposed. There is a battle for that. That is so, so good. And to the piece of it feels awkward. It feels vulnerable when you go to those places. It feels weak. And we try to stay in places that we're strong. I want to throw out the encouragement for folks of that is true of every arena until you step into it Mm. it's true of Mm. your swimming if you're not a swimmer that's going to be a very difficult and awkward and weak thing for you to do until you do it a little bit until you practice until you are willing to have the courage to jump in literally and try and that's something that i've discovered as i walk in the waters of vulnerability that that no longer feels like a weak space that has actually become a space of strength they can actually be very inviting to others where it's, hey, I'm willing to go here and share things about my life without it feeling timid or fearful. And that's a product of practice and being willing to go there. So it it's hopeful to me that it, it's not destined to always feel so awkward or always feel so 
week, these categories like male friendship and vulnerability and being afraid of being considered gay or it being romantic, like there, there's all sorts of accusations and cultural stuff. And the more you can get those off to walk in true strength in there, like, oh, there must be something truly wonderful to have if it is this opposed. Work backwards and mm. just look at the assault against it and ask yourself, why would this be so difficult if it isn't something that must be really wonderful for us to have? I need to so jump good. in super fast. And I I, I want to let you guys, I, I'm going to let you finish. Sorry. That's <laughs> Kanye not going to say Kanye. That. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. But I just needed to look at the audience a hot second and to say, if in your past, which this is, I'm, conf- I'm my own heart is getting convicted right now. You have used interchangeably the words weak or vulnerable with the negative adjective gay. I think we need to confess that as a culture because that's going to end up being a stronghold for us. So you're going to, you're almost crippling yourself. Again, if you're straight as the day is long and you're a dude and you've used that in the past, I just wonder if there's power in releasing that in your own heart by saying, Lord, I was wrong for using that term as a negative term for weak and vulnerable. And I wonder if it's crippling you yourself in these areas of deep need and friendship because that's unconfessed sin in your life. There you go. Boom. So good. That's great. I was actually going to call that out too and oh, go, snap. wow, what it, <laughs> are you using gay interchangeably with? Uh, like, like bad or failure, right? Because it's interesting that you're, you know, there are even negative associations tied around vulnerable when that's actually a good word. And yeah. so, thanks for calling that out. I think yeah. some, uh, like mass repentance on that will actually do us all yes. a great good. Yes. Uh, the only things I would just double down on are, yes, culturally, we have to grapple with the fact that the axe has sort of been put to the root in the West for three, 400 years of bodies are bad, emotions are bad, um, linear, rational minds are good, power is good, mm-hmm. um, and that in the elevation of competency, even keel, and go, all right, so we do need to distance ourselves from that and build a picture of manhood that is based in about what the Bible tells you you are. And I love it where it goes, okay, well, you have a heart, and a heart is a tender feeling, remarkable thing. And so when I relate with guys who go, yeah, I'm just not really that emotional, I kind of go, well, how could that possibly be in what we know about psychology? You know, even neuroscience goes, oh, you are an, you are an emotional being, and the fact that you don't know is helpful for me. It tells you some things that we actually might need to press into. But then go, what if that what if the best expression of strength actually looked like vulnerability? And simply hmm. go, uh, the best expression of the strength of God, the host of angel armies, uh, was to be stripped and nailed to a freaking cross. Yeah. Uh, forced exposure vulnerability and to go and in that was reigning over evil and to go let's build a picture of masculinity that is act that accommodates how tender 
men actually are meant to be, the incredible capacity we have for emotion and for tears. And I think I love looking around at the way various cultures have succeeded in capturing this to help populate it. And, you know, a favorite one is the Anglo-Saxon culture had a had a couple concepts, the Lord Thane relationship, which was a mask, a relationship between men that was incredibly tender that in the poetry around Beowulf in that era describes like men resting with their heads on their friend's knee and mm-hmm. incredible tenderness and uh, connection that was positive. And that that built a warrior culture that had this concept called comitatus, uh, which meant, I mean, it doesn't mean this in Latin, but what it meant for the culture was, I will not leave the field of battle before you. Mm. And so, like, what would it look like to have a tender masculinity that was actually based out of this deep connection and I will not leave the field of battle before you and I will not leave your heart uh, exposed and afraid and withdraw my heart. I will stay present and uh, bring my own capacity for tender relating to the table. Dang. Snaps for all of that. Okay. (laughs) So I feel like what we've put forward in this episode is such a beautiful uh, vision of biblical masculinity. And I didn't even know we'd go here. So that's awesome. But to land the plane here, I would love for each of you, Sam and Blaine, to say just one more thing to men listening, in particular, a guy who's like, okay, I'm doing the best I freaking can. You know, I'm working on my heart, trying to love my family. I see this as an area of weakness in me, specifically with friendships. Speak to him. And then can you please speak to women listening? Because I tend to... I have to fight my own default of control, hello Eve, of Matt, just go do it, as opposed to cultivating Matt's heart in this place of emotional vulnerability. Even as a therapist, he needs me to be tender with his heart. Like he's giving this face of, yes, please, honey. So can you please speak to women and how we can exhort men and love them well in this place, really actually encourage. And then to the men listening who are like, come on, I'm doing the best I can. Yep, that's really gracious. It's a good landing place. Um, To the men first, if you are particularly a young man, so that definition has shifted for me quite a bit. So I think of young as 40 and under. And there's some choices in your life to pursue wholeheartedness and to pursue God. That's going to be amplifying your experience of loneliness and of isolation because it is a path that the world around you is probably not choosing. And so Mm -hmm. there needs to be some mercy for you in that space of you are not alone, though you may feel it on a daily basis. And what you need is a group of men in your world, but there may be a season where there is one And he may not even be in your city or your state. Mm. That person may be remote and may be a phone call that you have once a month. But if you have the vision of that friendship lasting for years and of ways that you want to be feeding into it, it can be enough for a while. So there's, I I would offer the mercy of take the expectations off that you need to have a basketball team's worth of 
close male friends that you go do everything with and you're always having each other over for barbecues, there may be quite a long season of just you and one other or you and a couple others or even just you and your longing. And there needs to be some mercy for that. And to the the wife of maybe that man, and I would... Or f- just female friends too, yeah. Oh, totally echo what you said, Lori, about what Matt needs, especially for people as they are more aware of their heart and more aware of what's going on beneath the surface. Your close female friends' husbands are probably not going to be your husband's friend. And stop forcing him to go do that. <laughs> you mean setting him up on dates with our best friends? No? <laughs> stop it. Stop doing that. That's not helpful. <laughs> Actually, a greater jumping off point for your husband isn't pressure, isn't performance, isn't get this together. It is that generosity of what what are you looking for? What do you what do you love to do? Ask your husband those questions and ask what he thought of an interaction he had. And if he is, he's like, oh, I thought that guy was really cool. By all means, encourage him. Hmm. By all means, encourage him to reach out or send a text because those may be weak muscles that haven't been used yet. But be careful not to cross the line into forcing or uh, the word that everyone hates, nagging. Mm. There's, There's gotta be space there. That's great. How about you, Blaine? Yeah, that's good. I feel like the audience that you just described is comprised of remarkable people (laughs) where you went, what would you say to the guy who he's doing it? He's trying. He's got a family. He's got kids. He's, I would kind of go, wow, to that guy, man, I would say, way to go. Wow. (laughs) You are, you're trying to push in, uh, to offering something of your heart to your world. Wow. Um, great job. And the pressure that I would want to take off is this is not like another thing to do. Uh, You are a son. You have a father who loves you. And looking at John 17, to be in the father as Jesus in the father, like what would it look like uh, to relate in your father-son relationship in a way that actually led you to the men who you were meant to reach out to in this season? Because, right, who do you pick? Do you sign up for a small group? Do you go to a mountain biking club? Do you get back in touch over Facebook with your old buddy from college and go, you have a father who loves you, uh, who you can actually ask, Father, lead me in developing good friendships. Uh, You will need his help. And then, similarly, the women, wow, these wives... Way to go, ladies. This sounds amazing. Where you're <laughs> going, the lady who like sees a need in her husband and wants to push him toward it. Go like, wow, that um way to go, ladies, for caring about the health of your husband's heart and life. And obviously that's a mixed bag, but just to call it mm. the way you're revealing God there. Um, and to them, I would go, um, the issue is never the issue. And Create some breathing room to let to to not keep trying to address symptoms and go. Um, you don't have like a role to fix your husband. You have like a call to love Jesus, relate with him, and out of the overflow of that, like be committed to your husband's restoration um, that just comes out of your love for God. And so, you know, what would it look like 
to actually slow down and go, yeah, how is my husband's heart overall? Like, what does he seem to need? And then uh, what would it look like to support him in recovering simply more of his heart versus, you know, getting friends first or asking for a promotion first or whatever the thing is? Go, uh, your limited time will be better spent investing in the heart of the issue. Mm. Uh, this all sounds hard, but also very, very, very good. Um, yeah, man, you, you know, isn't that just the Christian walk is following Jesus. It's so hard and so worth it. So guys, thank you for unpacking that hard and worth it gospel journey, specifically diving deep into the heart of men. Totally. Thank you for having us on. And there's a piece to which I just want to say, if it was easy, <laughs> we wouldn't be easy. having this conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, Matt, Lori, it's so great to be with you. Thanks for having us on your show. Love what you do. Oh, thank you. Back at you guys. And on the podcast episode page, guys, you're going to be able to find all of um, just the Ann Sons magazine and their podcast as well as uh, you guys. I don't know how much you're a part of the app. I'm like been pushing it to everyone. I'm an, I'm an app pusher of the pause app that you guys just yes. released. I don't know if you're a part so of that. Good, right? Oh my goodness. I had a board meeting today and I was like, we're doing the 10 minute version. Here we go. <laughs> so it was so rich. So if you guys are looking for in cultivating men and women who are listening, cultivating your heart, I would recommend just going to that app, pauseapp.com. You can find it for iPhone or Android and it all it does is just posture you to just receive from God. So thanks for that gift, guys. And thank you for just being you. Gosh, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Great to be with you. So guys, we are going to link to all the Eldridge, the and Sons things, their uh, magazine and their podcast that I mentioned, as well as that app. Uh, and you guys, if you would like to, for us, we love hearing from you. And a way that we can do that is to hear your reviews. And so you can go to iTunes and um, drop us a five stars if you think we deserve that. That would mean a ton to us. But it just helps other people to find us. And that, you know, I've had to do my own heart, soul work in my own self to be okay with being like, I love this message that I feel like I just get to be a filter, a conduit of it. And so when you guys give us those reviews, it just allows the conduit to grow. I don't know. We're going to go with it. Uh, but you guys, thanks so much for doing that. We do have a question of the week for next week. What was the most memorable youth group game you ever witnessed and or endured? We know you got them. Did you have to eat a Happy Meal ground up through a nylon? Nylon. I don't know if I've said the word nylon in many years, but we want to hear it. You can hit us up at the new website, lauriekrieg.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G.com. And you can email us at podcast at lauriekrieg.com with your answers. And we love hearing literally from you. So you can send us your voice memo. How do you do that? Just ask Siri. I didn't know either. <laughs> Just say, how do I do a voice memo? And she magically tells you. Okay, I'm going to be done now. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thanks again to the Eldridge Sons for their wisdom and their heart in helping us to navigate this challenging space. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Oh!